Fresh manna fell to the ground as a gift from God while the Israelites were in the wilderness. This is what they ate for 40 years. It was fresh from the ovens of heaven, baked by the master baker himself. How the Israelites must have anticipated the taste and the smell of each morning's delivery. Just like the Israelites, you too can now experience the taste and smell of fresh manna. Today you will be listening to Pastor Pat Milligan and his wife Tammy. Pastor Pat is former pastor of Cadillac and Lake City Seventh-day Adventist Churches. And now here's Pastor Pat and Tammy. Good morning, everybody. Happy Sabbath to you. Our message this morning is dealing with whole marriages in a broken world. Whole marriages in a broken world. What we want to focus on this morning is 10 secrets to a successful marriage. And number one that we want to talk about is happiness is not the most important thing. Everyone wants to be happy, but happiness will come and happiness will go. Successful couples learn to intentionally do things that will bring happiness back when life pulls it away. Always remember Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is our what? Strength. Strength, that's right. And you know, it's interesting. The reason why we use the Bible to help us in a seminar like this is because if you buy a brand new car, then somebody designed that car. And there is a manual that goes with the car how to take care of it, right? Well, who is the designer and the author of marriage? God. So is there a handbook to help us? Yes or no? And what is that handbook? The Bible. So the principles that we're going to be using are derived from the Bible. And We're talking about happiness. My spouse doesn't make me happy, but where should we get our happiness from? Yeah, we should be getting it really from God. And when our spouse lets us down and, well, I just, you know, I'm not very happy with you, that can come and go. So we need to get our joy and our happiness from the Lord. Amen. All right, honey, look at number two. I just wanted to say one thing about number one, and that is that every now and then in our lives, throughout my whole life, I don't know about yours, you have the rug pulled out from under you sometimes. I mean, you can have a really good friend who you confide in, you feel like you're very close and they can hurt you. You can like, I never dreamed this would happen. And what do you want to do? You just want to pull in and make sure you never get close to someone like that again and never share that much with that person again. Because you'll only be set up for pain. But then there's this human need to need that friendship. You know, for me to have that girlfriend, that person that sometimes can pray with you or, or encourage you. And also that friendship that you have in your spouse, where you can reach out to them to support you during times when you're going through a hard time. But then sometimes things get thrown up in your face or something happens and you just feel like, your whole world is turned upside down in a moment, or somebody shares something that they said you said something that you didn't. I mean, have we all been fraught with those kinds of friendships and relationships? And 
we've been let down and we've probably let people down as well, right? So I love what you said about happiness. It truly does. The only way that I can have a wonderful day every day, regardless of what's going on in friendships or acquaintances, is if I have that connection with God who gives me that support and that foundation where regardless of what's going on in my marriage or in my friendships, he's always there and he doesn't change. Mm -hmm. So I love that. I don't know what people do when they don't have that foundation with God. Because if you're depending upon people to make you happy, you will always be hurt and always be disappointed because we are human. It's true. That's true. So number two. Number two, couples discover the value in just showing up. When things get tough and couples don't know what to do, they need to hang in there and be there for their spouse. Time has a way of helping couples work things out. Just listen to them, let them cry, put your arm around them, and give them comfort. Yeah, so I have a friend Mm -hmm. who shared with me recently an experience that she had. She said, you know, I honestly wasn't feeling that well. I just really needed to tell my husband some things that's been on my mind. I didn't want to start a fight or an argument, but I just needed him to listen. So generally in every relationship, you have at least one person who communicates best and processes life best out loud. So that would be me in our relationship. I need to talk things out, talk about things. And I don't like there to be any time that goes by that we aren't okay. And so I need to talk about it. And so this is how she is as well. And so she said to her husband that he came in to check on her because she wasn't feeling well and he laid down on the bed and she said, can I share with you some things that have been really heavy on my heart and I just want (laughs) to share them with you, but I don't want to offend you. I don't want to cause an argument. I just need you to listen to me and just hear me out. Realize that some of the things that I may be saying may not necessarily be reality. It's just how I'm feeling. And he's like, yeah, go ahead, right? So she thought she'd done something very wise, and that is to set up this conversation. Because if you just start in right away, the other person may want to fix it or explain or become defensive, right? But she was setting up where she was saying, you know, just really listen to me. So she began to commence to explain how she was feeling, and he got really defensive. Because some of the things she was saying were not pleasant, right? And she was trying to be careful But then he ended up being annoyed, and so the way he spoke to her was kind of harsh, and then she got harsh because how dare he talk to her that way, and then you know what goes from there. So when I was speaking with my friend, she doesn't know Jesus as intimately as I do, and I certainly haven't arrived. I'm not saying that, but she doesn't really know him like I've been privileged to know him, and I stopped her right there. And I said to her, oh, can I just comment on one thing you just said? That is where marriage takes three. That moment when the other person just totally annoys or irritates you, so you want to come back with that reptilian brain takes over, that defensiveness, or that how dare you, how could you, why would you talk to me that way? I said, that's where God can help us in our relationships instead of reacting to respond. And I said, I don't always get it right. You can be caught off guard. Your significant other or spouse can say something or your friend. By the way, these principles are for single people as well. You know, we can get caught off guard and we can respond in a way that just starts the flames burning in a fire. 
And she was like, yeah, I hear what you're saying because Tammy, even though I have great intentions every day when I get up that I'm only going to speak to my spouse in a loving and kind way, they may say something and it just starts. And that's where every day we need God. (laughs) I need God to help me to control my thoughts, my feelings, my impulses, my motives, my attitudes, but especially my impulses, how I'm going to respond or react. So when it comes to just showing up, number two, and time as far we'll work things out, she said at that moment, that's when he becomes discouraged and says, how will this relationship even work? How will this relationship even work? Because you know what? And think about this, everybody, because this is so true. He said it perfectly to her. When it's good, it's really good. But when it's bad, it's awful. And it rips my heart out. And I don't want to continue to go through this. I don't want to continue to have this. It makes me want to run away and say, this relationship isn't going to work because when it's bad, it's so ugly. And she said, but we have these wonderful good times too. How do we get to the place where we're not hurting each other, where we don't have to have the icky times? You know, it's interesting. When everything's going well in our marriage, our relationships, it seems like our love tank is full. But when we get into an ugly, ugly argument, it's like our love tank is just drained. It's like I'm empty, you know, I'm just empty. So God helps us to get that love tank full again. And then when both of us are filling it up with God's love and God's power, then we have something to come back together and help each other to overcome because we have to remember we're in a great controversy. We're in a warfare. We have been for 6,000 years on this old earth. John 10.10 says that the thief, the old devil is a thief. He comes not but for to kill, steal, and to destroy our relationships, our marriages. But Jesus goes on to say in John 10, 10, but I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So he wants to help our marriages in an abundant way. And if we turn to him, if we cry out to him in those minutes when our relationship is ugly, those times when we just hate to go there, and we say, God, help me, it helps us to humble our own pride. See, my friend that I was sharing her experience with me, she said, that's it. Tammy, when we're having an ugly time, it's my pride and his pride. And we are waiting for the other person to come and make amends first. And it's just the same in our relationships, right? That old P pride gets in the way. And then we really come out. That's right. That's right. Number three, if you do what you always do, you will get the same results, right? You heard the definition of insanity. It's always doing the same thing, expecting, you know, different outcome. Different outcome. That's right. So wise couples have learned that you have to approach problems differently to get different results. Often minor changes in approach, attitude, and actions make the biggest difference in marriage. And one thing that really helped me was a couple of years ago, My dear wife went to a conference where they bring these people and they pay them big, big bucks. And these people actually use principles from the Bible, but they don't realize that it comes from the Bible. And one of them was on how to deal with people that are hostile and angry and they're upset at the corporation 
And so they come at you. And what does Proverbs 15.1 say? A soft answer, what? Turns away wrath. So they taught in this seminar, remember, that you came home and you said, it's amazing. They use biblical principles, but they don't say it came from the Bible. And when someone is angry or when your spouse is angry and they're in your face, the tendency is, is for us to get angry back and to get in their face, right? Well, what's that going to cause? That's going to cause <laughs> explosion, right? That's right. And that's not going to solve the problem, right? Well, the Bible says, soft answer, turneth away wrath. So my wife says, honey, when there's angry people that are upset with where she works or whatever, we learn to step back and speak softly. This diffuses the argument because instead of confronting and going toward them, ready for the fight, you're stepping back, you're speaking softly. What does that cause the other person to do? Causes them to speak softly. It's not in your face, you know? And so we have to learn this because when you grow up, you don't think that way. You think, well, they're getting louder, so I need to get louder, right? That's not going to solve the problem, right? True. You know, I remember as a child, my daddy used to always say to me, Tammy, you need to earn people's respect. You know, you have to earn their trust, earn their respect. But I think he had it just a little bit wrong, if I could challenge him just a little bit. And that is in this way. I want to show respect because I'm a respectful person, regardless of what the other person does. Now, it is true. You do have to earn trust and respect. My daddy's right. But also, I choose to be respectful because of who I am, because of who God is helping me to be, because of who I want to be, not because you necessarily deserve it. So if somebody comes at me or if my spouse becomes annoyed with me, I need to stop and think, wait, who am I? What is it that I want to be, regardless of how the other person is? Because we are mirrors of each other. So often we mirror our behaviors. You know, I had a gentleman come at me this week with terrible foul language and very, very angry. And I just said to him, you know, I am so sorry for whatever happened that caused you to be so frustrated. And I'm here to help you get to the bottom of what happened so we can fix this for you. And so I chose not to take his words or his verbal attack of me personally. And what we find is when we look at best practices and when we look at research is that when I am being personally attacked, my response is usually to attack back, right? And in this situation, because it was a work situation, I handled it beautifully. Aren't you proud of me? But guess what? Research shows that when the stakes are the highest and the emotions run the hottest and when we are having the more intimate conversations, that is with the people that mean the most to us, that's when we tend to do the worst. Do you see? So we tend to do the worst with the people that mean the most to us. Think about it. We can be very professional and use these tools very well in the workplace. But how do we treat our spouse when we come home? I really held myself accountable for every little irritation. I asked my husband, we had a conversation yesterday about something. He needed me to help him find something that I had put away. And it's annoying to me how intense and how anxious he can become about it. And so I am trying by God's grace 
not to do that. Now, he isn't being rude to me when he asks me to help him find something, but I immediately tell myself a story about past experiences where it can become intense, right? And so I went ahead and I didn't want to look for it. I wanted to do it later. It wasn't something we needed today. But the Lord impressed me, go ahead, it'll ease his mind and he can have a much better day. And so I went ahead and I found it and I gave it to him. I was tempted to be sarcastic. I was tempted to say, it's right where you said you look. I was tempted to say things that wouldn't have been kind. But later I asked him, honey, how did I do? Because nobody can hold me more accountable, loves me more, or is anxious for me to be successful than my husband. And he said, honey, you did really well. I could see places I could have done better, but he was very kind to me. So it's really nice when you can be best friends and help each other in the right ways in the right time. Well, let's say she would have been sarcastic and thrown them down and said, here, here they are. You know, they were right there where you looked and you didn't even see them. You see, now what would that have done to my love taint? That would have emptied some of it out, you know, because of sarcasm. See, what a man desperately needs is he needs respect. And what a woman desperately needs is she needs love, right? Now, we all need love. Don't get me wrong. But men need respect. Uh, women need love. And I try to ask the Lord and get God's help to help me to treat my wife like a queen. And I know if I treat her like a queen, she'll treat me like a king. You say, well, you have ulterior motives, Pastor Pat. But it works for me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but, that, you know. You know, if if I'm giving her love, she gives me respect. I mean, that's the way it should be. Amen? Mm-hmm. It's the way it should be. Yeah. One more thing I wanted to say about your attitude, how that the little things matter. In the end, it says, often minor changes in approach, attitude, and actions make the biggest difference in a marriage. So back to my friend who shared this story about how things became very ugly and it lasted several days and they weren't friends. And then she found him in the garage tearful and saying, When it's good with us, it's very good. But when it's bad, it's so ugly. I'm afraid to trust my heart again. We talked about how do we communicate with each other so we don't go into that bad place. So we talked about how she approached him and how he tends to approach her back and how those little words and attitudes and how they both had prior relationships that have been very hurtful. So they bring into their relationship some baggage from other relationships So sometimes in in that example, Patrick could say something to me very innocently, but it could really trigger some really past things that have happened. So I said to her, you know, what's really helpful is if you sit down with your husband or your significant other and say, how would you like me to approach you when I need to talk about X? What is helpful when I need to discuss a challenging situation? How would you like me to do it? Were some of the ways in which I approached you really offensive? Because really and truly, not to say I take the blame because you got ugly. She wasn't saying that, and nor should she. But what she wanted to learn is, okay, if we don't want to do this again, my husband and I have said before, let's not ever do that again. How can we make sure this never happens again? I think those are good conversations. Otherwise, you fall into the same routine. And so they did. They sat down and they talked about, okay, Let's approach each other this way and using these kinds of words. And then if it gets too heated for him and he needs time, so he's more like you, he needs some time to think and cool off before he has a conversation. All right, but let's make a pact that we'll come back at a certain time so that we know we can resolve this. That's right. 
Number four, your attitude does matter. Changing behavior is important, but so is changing attitudes. Bad attitudes often drive bad feelings and actions. Now, when you have a bad attitude, it seems like we tend to have problems with our tongue. Our tongues can get us in more trouble. Proverbs 18.21 talks about how the tongue has the power to bring life, or it has the power to bring what? Death. There's 12 tongue tamers. He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. (laughs) Seest thou a man that is hasty in his words? There is more hope of a fool than of him. My wife and I, we knew a lady back when we were in Oregon. We loved her dearly. But bless her heart, this lady, she would say whatever came to her mind, period. And so... She had no filter. No filter. So her son would come in, who I was working with and had baptized. She would come in and she'd say, Bill, that was an idiotic decision that you made. Well, you know, that's not going to... Create harmony Uh, and closeness. Whatever she thought, she'd just say it. You know, sometimes we need to think before we speak. Would you agree with that? Don't just say to your spouse whatever you're thinking. Do not do it. Think about it and say, now, is this going to create love and harmony and peace in our home? Or is this going to get into the biggest World War III that we've ever seen? Mm-hmm. You know, I just want to interject this. In my job, where I process all the grievances that come into our organization, guess what percent of those grievances that I have to deal with, what percent would you say is unspoken, just attitude, or the way in which I use words? What percent would you guess? Of all the grievances, so we're talking about all kinds of things that people could bring to my attention. The answer is actually 80. 80% of all of the grievances that I deal with in my organization have to do with attitude. The 70% of communication that we do every day that's nonverbal. Just the irritation that shows on a person's face. The tone in which they speak. Just the attitude of being rushed or not cared about. Isn't that something? So what you were saying is absolutely right. We need to watch our tongues, but we need to also watch our attitude. What is my motive? What do I want? And I love to tell the story how a couple winters ago, I came home. It was an especially challenging day at work. I was stressed. I walked in the door. The first thing I saw was my husband's coat over a chair when the closet would have been even closer. And I immediately just said to him, he's standing in the kitchen. I said, Patrick, for heaven's sake. You could have hung up your coat in the closet and it would have been closer than putting it on the chair. And I looked at him and his expression was as if I had slapped him. He was shocked. I just barreled in the door and first thing I did was just be annoyed. And before he could say a word, I said, could we start over? And he said, I would like that. So I went outside and closed the door. It was cold and it was good. And I stood out on the porch, I took a nice deep breath, and I thought, what do I want? To be irritable, because I've had a hard day. 
But what do I really want? What I really want is to have a wonderful evening with my love, right? And so that's what I think you're trying to say here. Think about what we're about to do. What do we want to be irritable in the moment, right? But what do I really want? Really what I want is for us to be close. Well, this is the bottom line. and We need to admit it that all of us have two natures. We have a Christ-like nature in us, but all of us have a little Hitler in us. Come on now. Am I telling the truth? And sometimes our spouses can bring out that little Hitler, right? Or we choose yeah. <laughs> to let it be annoyed. And, and, you know, and Hitler, he's just ugly. Mm-hmm. Oh, he can get ugly. He can sucker punch you. Oh, he can hit you where it hurts. And so somehow we want to, even though that little Hitler's in us, we wish he wasn't, but he's, he's always there. But somehow we got to, Starve him out. Starve him out and feed the good man, the spiritual man, so that the fruits of the Spirit will be manifest. Galatians 5, you know, of love and of joy and kindness and gentleness and meekness. You know, those need to come out instead of the little Hitler. Like, well, you, you know, you always do this. Or, or you never. Or you're just like your mother. Or, you know, don't you, we could go on and on. And all that does is make you very defensive. All it does is take away from your love tank, you know, it starts getting empty again, Mm -hmm. you know? So go ahead. Well, I was just thinking, it goes right along with what you're saying. And number five there on 12 tongue tamers, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. But, and, and you think corrupt, I always thought corrupt was like nasty or that kind of thing, but it's more than that because the rest of the verse explains it, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Edifying means building somebody up, empowering them to be their very best, that it may minister grace to the hearers. So is what I'm about to say to my spouse going to edify them, bring us closer together, help us to have the marriage and the relationship that we both want, or is what I'm about to say going to destroy that or tear it down? That's right. All right, number five, change your mind and change your marriage. How couples think and what they believe about their spouse affects how they perceive the other. What they expect and how they treat their spouse matters greatly. And it is so true that sometimes we tell ourselves stories about what my wife is, you know, her motives what she has been doing or has not been doing, it's just ticking me right off. So I'm telling myself this story, and it's not even true. I'm building up the story about what my wife is or is not doing, and now I'm getting really mad, and it's not even true. Mm-hmm. Speak to that, honey. <laughs> well, it's just so easy and natural to fill in the blanks. So an illustration I use as I walk down the hall at work and I say hello to someone, they say hello and they walk on and I think, oh, because I'm a glass half full person, I'm pretty positive in my thoughts, just the way I was made, not because I'm so good. And I wake up happy pretty much every day. I would think to myself, oh, they must be having a bad day. But then the second time I meet them in the hall and I say hi and they completely turn their body kind of away from me and don't speak, then I think, well, maybe. 
So then I think back, let's see, when's the last time I had an interaction with that person? Oh, at a staff meeting. We didn't agree on what we wanted to do as a solution to this issue at work. But we weren't disagreeable. We agreed to disagree. We just had different ideas. But I bet that was it. That was it. Why that is such bad sportsmanship. Just because we had different opinions, they went away and now they're mad about it. Well, I tell you, that is ridiculous. You know, before you know it, I've told myself a story about this person. But really, because I don't want to go to bed that way, and I'm the type that I have to address things, I seek the person out and I say to them, hey, George, can I talk to you for a second? Are we okay? Oh, yeah, Tammy, we're fine. I've got this splitting headache, though. It's just like every little sound is just my head's about to explode. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I know how it feels to have a bad headache. I just wanted to check in. No, Tammy, we're fine. Do you see how I told myself a story about this person? I evil surmised. I filled in a ton of blanks. And before I knew it, I'd evilized them. And I think it's the same way in our relationship with our spouse. I can fill in the blanks. I can add things there that don't even belong. And they did research. I just love research. Maybe it's when I got my master's, I got hooked on that part. I just find it fascinating. They did some research on couples who'd been together for 20 years. Guess how many times, one out of 10, that they were truly able to guess what the other one was thinking? The answer is three to four. Three to four times out of 10. So if you can guess that about someone you sleep with, how about people you don't? In other words, the odds are that we're not going to be able to guess successfully really what the other person is thinking or what's going on. So one of the most important tools, I think, is to clarify. Honey, what did you mean when you said such and such? Oh, I meant this. Oh, that was a whole lot different than what I thought. You know what I'm saying? It never hurts to come back and clarify in the right spirit. That's right. Number six, you've heard the expression, well... I'm leaving my spouse because the grass is going to be greener on the other side of the fence. Well, that's a misnomer, and that's not true because the grass still has to be mowed. The grass still has to be watered. The grass is the greenest where you water it. (laughs) Successful couples have learned to resist the grass is greener myth, i.e. someone else will make me happier, you know? They have learned to put their energy into making themselves and their marriage better. And that is the secret is, woman, if you would just change, then it would make me happy. No, what God is telling us, if you would change, you know, the marriage would be happier. If I would change, I can make my wife's life a lot better, a lot sweeter, a lot easier. If I would help her more and be more supportive, then it would help her to have a better day. So really, we need to look at it as instead of them changing, you know, we need to change. We need to change. Once again, if I'm treating my wife like a queen, she has no problem treating me like a king, you know. And so water the grass that God has given to you, your your wife. So it isn't just about we date or we court and then we get married and then we move on to other things. We really have to prioritize. The most important thing in order for me to be the woman that will truly bring joy to my husband and to be the wife and the mother and the woman that I want to be. So my 
most important priority is my relationship with my creator, asking him to help me, to heal me, and to help me to be that person that I long to be. But my number two relationship really is my spouse, not my children, my spouse. Okay. That's, we talked about this morning a little bit about how that when we get that paradigm wrong, when the children are the most important, that's not healthy. It needs to be, we need to be good so that we can be a united front together. So in that relationship and making sure that we are really connecting, that's what, it's so very important. And I truly lost my train of thought, but I'll think of it. Well, as you come back to it, (laughs) number seven actually goes along with what I just said, that number seven is you can change your marriage by changing yourself. Veteran couples have learned that trying to change their spouse is like trying to push a rope. Almost impossible. Often, the only person we can change in our marriage is ourselves. I thought of it. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) So what I was going to say is, if you have a picture of what you want in your relationship, live that, speak it, live into that yourself, and you can create it. Just like when we were first married, I just thought it was so romantic that my grandmother and my grandfather called each other sweetheart. I love that. I just thought that was so, and I'm kind of an over-the-top flowery person. And so I said to Patrick, let's call each other sweetheart. And he was just like, you know, and we were just married. He would call me dear a lot, you know. And and so, you know. Especially if you're playing in a softball game and your (laughs) wife calls you sweetheart in front of everybody. Which she does. But anyway, I just started calling him sweetheart. Yeah, I did. I would, I would cheer for him. Go sweetheart. And then the guys would say, go sweetheart when you get up to hit the ball. But anyway, um, I just started calling him sweetheart. And before I knew it, that's what he called me, calls me sweetie. In other words, my point is live into the relationship that you want instead of sitting back and thinking, this will never work. And he or she is like this and there's no hope for us. Think about what do you want? Then go for it. Be that person. Really spend some time nurturing your relationship and you will have everything and more than you wanted. We knew a story of an evangelist. He's passed on, but he was a great evangelist. He was a revivalist. His name was Emilio Konecli. And his wife gave him an ultimatum. She did not like Emilio's religion. And she said, if you want us to stay married, you got to change your religion. He said, honey, I can't change my religion. I've got to be true to the Bible. And so she said, well, we're done. We're done. And this lady had a terrible car accident and her face was distorted. She was in the hospital for so, yeah, a long time. And Emilio just helped nurse her back to health, just showered his love upon her. And she goes, how can you love me after I've treated you like this? And and look at my face. And he said, honey, I see a beautiful woman. And the Bible says, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, until death do us part. And honey, please, I don't want you to go through with this divorce. And she didn't. And she loved him all the days of their life because she had no idea that the love of Christ was in this man. And Divorce was not an option for him. It was for her, but God allowed this situation so that she could see that he wanted to stay in there and be faithful and true. And so instead of blaming her or saying, you know, you're just, no, he just said, listen, I'm going to work for this thing. And, you know, 
building a good marriage, it takes work. Does it? Does it not? In fact, sometimes we're tempted to say, did I marry the right person? What if I made a mistake? We're so miserable. What if I made a mistake? No, 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 no. God is so much bigger than that. If you find yourself together with your spouse, don't go back and look at the past mistakes. Go forward and know that there is no mistakes with God. God can take the most complex, messed up, entangled, gnarly situation, and he can make it beautiful. He is an amazing God. So never ask yourself, did I marry the wrong person? No, you're married. Go forward. God has everything you need to make it everything you ever wanted. There is nothing impossible with God. Amen? Let's say it together. There is nothing impossible with God. That's right. Number eight, love is a verb, not just a feeling. We've said it many times in other seminars. Love is not a feeling to be felt, but an action to be learned. In other words, so many people say, well, I just fell out of love. I just don't have, the feeling is gone, you know? Well, I don't always feel like going to work every morning, but do I do it? I don't always feel like getting up in the morning. Do I do it? I don't always feel like eating vegetables. I'd rather have candy, but do I do it? My point is that when we start to do the loving thing, the feelings come. Amen. If you find yourself short on feelings of love, just start acting out the actions of love. That's right. And the feelings will come. And don't forget who's the author of love. You know, not only that, the Bible says God is love, but think about it. When Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross, do you think he felt like going? I remember the prayer he prayed, Father, if if there's any other way to get out of this, Lord, show it to me, because I don't feel like doing this. But he did it because he knew this was the only way that we could be saved, you know. And it was horrendous. It was horrible. He felt that separation of all the sins of the world being placed upon him. So even though he didn't feel like doing this, he did it because he knew it was right. And he did it for you, and he did it for me. Amen. So love is a verb, not just a feeling. Everyday life wears away the feel-good side of marriage. Feelings like happiness will fluctuate. But real love is based on a couple's vows of commitment, for better or for worse, when it feels good and when it doesn't. I knew a young man many years ago, and he told me, he said, Oh, Pastor Pat, I can't wait. I can't wait to find just the right young lady. And he described what she was going to look like. And they were going to go into ministry together. And it was just going to be a utopia. And he went on and on. And there was this older man sitting there. And he he called out his name. And he said, well, let me ask you this. If your wife develops breast cancer, are you still going to love her? Well, he got real quiet because his wife had gone through breast cancer. And he said, she has a car accident and she's all disfigured. Are you still going to love her? He got real quiet, you know. In other words, it's not just the puppy love. It's much, much deeper than that. It's agape love. And it's it's a love like God's. It's, I'm going to love you till the very end. It's kind of like that When we used to live in Lake Orion, Michigan, we had an elder, and he lived on a little lake. And every year, these geese would fly south for the winter. But this one goose, it wouldn't leave its mate. And its mate had a broken wing. And so it would 
fly around, and then it would come back. It would come back to its mate because it realized mm-hmm. that it wasn't going to go with him going south. Mm-hmm. So the male goose decided, you know, I'm just going to winter it out with her. So our elder, Glenn, he built a little goose house out there, and he stuck some hay in there, and he would feed them, and they loved it. They survived. But I thought that was so touching. Mm-hmm. I loved how that, you know how they do the practice runs, the, the flock of geese, and they would circle and he would call and call for her and she would call and call, but she couldn't fly mm-hmm. and she would try, but she couldn't. And then he would come back and yeah. it would happen day after day yeah. until the whole flock flew away and he flew away with them only for a distance and then came back. And then he got that goose would come up and tap on their sliding glass door when they were out of food. It was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. But what a beautiful picture of love. He risked his life to stay in the cold winter, but he couldn't leave his mate. I love you, Mrs. Goose. <laughs> Don't you call me a goose. <laughs> All right. Number nine. Marriage is often about fighting the battle between your ears. Successful couples have learned to resist holding grudges bringing up the past, and remembering that they married an imperfect person and so did their spouse, okay? Yeah, we get into trouble with what we think. If you think you're better than your spouse, something's wrong with that picture. We all have blind spots, right? So I'm imperfect. My husband's imperfect. We come together. We have this perfect idea of what a perfect marriage looks like. And then very soon we realize we are not a perfect marriage and we're not perfect people. But how do we go at life together? I tell you, I truly am married to my very best friend. But this afternoon, I'm going to share, we had a knockdown drag out fight not too long ago and something that we learned about it. So in other words, we were meant to be together. We know that for sure. But we have definitely gotten through times when it's tough. And when it doesn't feel good, it feels like a crisis. And we have to be really careful about what we're thinking. Otherwise, we can make a small argument into this huge issue. That's right. Number 10, a crisis doesn't mean the marriage is over. Crises are like storms. They're loud, they're scary, and they're dangerous. But to get through a storm, you have to keep driving. A crisis can be a new beginning. It's out of pain that great people and marriages are produced. And I wrote in there, faith is clasping the hand of Christ in every emergency. And when you're in an argument, that's an emergency. And we need to run to Jesus. When you say, Jesus, and I've done this before, they always give the keys to the pastor to the church. So I've gone into the churches and got down by the front pew and said, Lord, you know that my wife and I are in a fight. And Lord, she started it. (laughs) But Lord, I know I'm supposed to love her, but right now I don't like her. And I'm just talking to God. And I'm saying, Can you imagine? He's not liking me. And so I say, Lord, please change my heart. Things have cooled off and I need to go back home. And I pray, Lord, you'll soften my heart. Pray you'll soften my wife's heart and help us, Lord, to reconcile this. And do you think God answers a prayer like that? Absolutely. I get off my knees and I go home and I walk through the door. I say, honey, I'm sorry for getting loud and saying those negative things. And she always says, honey, I'm so sorry too. And 
you know, we hug and kiss and make up. Making you know. up is the best the part. The best part. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but some people, they just can't do this. For some reason, they get into this big fight and so they say, well, it's just over. It's just over. Well, no, it's not over. You got to work through it. Mm-hmm. And working through it actually does make you stronger. You know, it really helps. And we'll talk about some of the things that are helpful this afternoon in our part two. Part two. We'll talk about some really practical things and we'll share some of our personal experiences about how to have a conversation with your spouse that you know is very touchy. How do you approach or breach that gap where you feel like, you know, there are just some things I can't talk to Patrick about because he'll just come unglued or he'll get mad or I'll hold him against him or I'll throw it in my face. See, how do you have those conversations where you can talk about everything? So we'll be talking about some of those tools. That's right. Because it's true. I love this. It says, crises are like storms, loud, scary, and dangerous. And when we do get into it with each other, it can be loud, scary, and dangerous, right? Because we can say things we don't mean, and we don't have a tendency to forget those things easily. Mm-hmm. So what do we do with that? We'll talk about that. Yeah, I just don't see how any couple can survive without the Lord helping them. Right. Because we all have pride. It just reminds me of this poem. It's so true. It says, I once thought marriage took just two to make a go, but now I'm convinced it takes the Lord also. And not one marriage fails where Christ is asked to enter as lovers come together with Jesus at the center. But marriages seldom thrives and homes are incomplete till he is welcomed there to help avert defeat. In homes where God is first, it's obvious to see those unions really work for marriage still takes three. And that is so, so true. Yes, it is. In Jeremiah 33, 3, it says, there is nothing that is too hard for God. Okay? Nothing is too hard for God. Prayer is the answer to every problem in life. It puts us in tune with divine wisdom, which knows how to adjust everything perfectly. So often we do not pray in certain situations because from our standpoint, the outlook is hopeless. And we say this about our marriages. We say, well, our marriage is just hopeless. But if both parties are willing, it's not hopeless. If only one party is willing, it's not hopeless. Well, it's very difficult, though. It's hard. Yeah. It's not hopeless. No, okay. Because of prayer. But nothing is impossible what? With God. God. Nothing is so entangled that it cannot be remedied. No human relationship is too strained for God to bring about reconciliation and understanding. No habit is so deep-rooted that it cannot be overcome. No one is so ill that it cannot be healed. No mind is so dull that it cannot be made brilliant. Whatever we need, if we trust God, that's the key. If we will trust God, He will supply it. If anything is causing worry or anxiety, let us stop rehearsing the difficulty and trust God for healing, love, and power. So instead of focusing on the negativity of our spouse, we focus on the positive tools that we're helping give you, and you focus on those instead of the negative things, and you will see positive results. Amen? That's right. It's not so important to have married the right person as it is to be the right person. Amen. Amen. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father. 
for your wonderful love. And thank you, Lord, for our spouses, our soulmates. We thank you for your love and pray that you'll help us to use these tools to bless others because we know there's others out here in Misaki County and Wexford County that could really use these tools. And Father, we also want to pray for those who aren't married but have relationships with children, grandchildren, coworkers, mm-hmm. friends. And all of these tools can be used to bless all of our relationships. And we just pray more than anything that you would give us the precious Holy Spirit in our hearts so that we can have the strength and the desire to put self aside and to call upon you when we're in stressful situations. Thank you for loving us and for being with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Pat Milligan and his wife, Tammy. Pastor Pat is former pastor of Cadillac and Lake City Seventh-day Adventist Churches and is now ministering in the Oklahoma Conference. If you enjoyed this sermon, why not visit a Seventh-day Adventist church near you listed on strongtowerradio.org. This has been a Strong Tower Radio production.